0: I try and get somebody who's like really theologically sound to come up here and speak. Not that the other guys are not, uh, but it would be so good to hear uh, Andrew, or Fami, as we uh, call him, come up to speak. So would you join me in welcoming Andrew Fam?
1: I don't know how to unmute this. It should, be should be unmuted. I might need some help. Oh, should we just swap microphones? Sorry. It's okay. Hello. Thank you. Um, it's a real privilege to be here. So thank you so much for having me here. Um, it's actually really nice to be uh, back at a kind of Asian church, if I may describe you as that, right? <laughs> um, I used to pastor at a, a Chinese immigrant church, and I just love the Asian feel, the hospitality, you know, the, the welcome, the sense of I can call you auntie and uncle, you know what I mean? It's really, really nice. And I uh, just want to thank Chris uh, for inviting me here today. Um, as you know, we were part of our pastors group, actually, and funny enough, we call him Master Yoda. Anyone know that? Just because Chris speaks so much wisdom and uh, us youngins receive, if that makes sense. So uh, thanks Chris uh, for all that and it's really nice to be a part of that group. But um, when, often when I sit next to Chris, I feel much older than I am. You know why? He's got so much energy. I tell you what, I just cannot at all keep up. I feel like an old man compared to him. But thanks Chris, thanks a lot. Um, Yeah, so I know you guys are going through a series on Jesus, right? And what a great way to look at Christmas when it's all about Jesus, right? And I think last two weeks you guys went through Hebrews one one to four and Chris preached on that. I think Pastor Roland preached last week on Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So this week I've got one thing I want to talk about and go deep. All right, we're going to talk about suffering, and uh, this is uh, actually a topic that's kind of on my heart. Um, uh, And when I mean on my heart, I feel like it's something that comes out of my life as well, and I want to share a little bit of that today. But before we get there, what I might do is I might pray for us and commit this service to the Lord, and we'll get way. Cool. Let's pray. Lord, let your spirit fall upon this place, that we would feel it so tangibly, Lord, that your presence is here because we acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, Lord. Within our quietness, as we just reflect on you and this service here today, will we bow our knee to you and humble ourselves before the word, including me, Lord. Would you minister to us, Lord, today as your spirit moves upon this place? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a relatively methodical person. Um, I like dot points. I like structure. That's, I guess, why I'm a CEO, right? Um, however... Today, I want to answer four questions for you, so I hope you can keep along. Mind you, people have fallen in, asleep in my service sermons before, so I'll forgive you if you do today, all right? It can be quite normal, especially in youth groups, okay? Four things I want to talk about today that I think is imperative to understand how Jesus suffers and why he's called the suffering servant. Number one is this. How did Jesus suffer? And I was doing research on this. I tell you what, even stuff I found out, I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. So hopefully this will help you. Why did Jesus suffer? Self-explanatory. What does Jesus' suffering mean for you? And how we can handle our own suffering today? So those four questions, very simple. They're about 20-something points, all right? (laughs) Just warning you in advance, because I heard you guys uh, have 40 to 45-minute sermons. I was like, woo. If I did that at my youth group, oh my gosh, there'll be rebellion, let's just say. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. So what did Jesus suffer and how did he suffer? Very important, okay? This is actually... Like, what I wanted to do was just actually just kind of do a survey. So, when we're talking about biblical theology or whatever, today's not an exposition. What I mean by exposition, I'm not going through verse by verse of a text. What I'm doing is systematically going through a Bible and picking up little pieces to explain like a theme as to how and why Jesus suffered, okay? It's not exposition, systematics, or a topical sermon, Right? Number one is this, and I didn't even realize this myself. A lot of you can actually relate to this, but as a child... He actually had to migrate out of his home country to where? Does anyone know? Egypt. That's right. When I thought about this, I'm like thinking, actually, there's a lot of Asians here who had to go from their actual home country to somewhere else. And for those who d- who know a little bit about like war torn countries, so my family uh, is from Vietnam. My family had to flee from Vietnam all the way to Australia by boat, right? And actually... On the way to Australia, our boat almost sank. So I might not actually be here if it wasn't for some Australian fishermen uh, picking up my parents on the boat to an immigration camp. True story, right? But here it is, Matthew 2, 13 to 14 and 16. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph um, and said to him, take, well, rise, take your child, mother flee to Egypt, and stay until I tell you Herod is going to search for the child and destroy him, okay? So those, it's not easy actually going from a home to a place where you're displaced, right? What do you have to do? You have to start again, new family, new people. Imagine a king trying to kill your parents too and having to grow up in that type of family. Jesus is displaced, right? Very simple. And I I didn't realize this was a kind of suffering, you know? All your roots, all your friends, you guys know how it is, your parents know how it is. It's not easy. Number one. Number two is this. Uh, how did Jesus suffer? F- Number two. He was betrayed, okay? I'm going to kind of click through all these because there's so many, all right? What I mean by betrayal, like obviously we know what happens with Judas. One of his disciples, one of his good friends, turns on him. Actually, uh, uh, it's actually money Judas is after, okay? So imagine your best mate... Dogging you for some money. That's exactly what happened here. Exactly what happens here. And I don't know about you, but uh, betrayal hurts, right? I'm hoping that you can empathize with what Jesus' life is because it's important. Betrayal really hurts. I remember one time, sorry, I'm going to share a lot of anecdotes so you get to know me a little bit better, all right? I feel like I'm going to share my life story, but I don't mean to. If I'm oversharing, I apologize again. (laughs) But I remember I had a group of best friends. Um, we were since high school. I went to Mount Waverley Secondary College, and since high school, we we're like getting into fights together. We we're drinking together. We we're going to clubs together. I wasn't a Christian, by the way. I did not grow up in a Christian family. Just saying. I saw the looks of judgment. I had to clarify very quickly. <laughs> Anyway, we had a, a bunch of best friends, and there's this thing in friendship groups back in the day, and I'm not sure if it's the same here, but it's called bro code, okay? So for the, for the next generation, bro code is these unwritten rules in friendship groups that you shall not betray amongst brothers, okay? Kind of like our Bible, but I wasn't the Bible. So in this bro code, we had one very clear rule. Anyone could guess what that rule was? someone in my generation, millennial, shouted out to me. That rule was never date your friend's ex-girlfriend. You know that rule? Let's just say I broke that rule. Oh, gosh. But there's a caveat to this rule, okay? If you break this rule... There's always a condition of breaking this rule. That condition is that if you do decide to date your best friend's girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, you have to ask for their permission. Is that right? You gotta be a man about it, you gotta ask, hey, is it okay if I date her? You talk about it like men ironing out. He has every license to tell you, no, you can't. But he has every license to say, yes, you can, God bless you, right? Long story cut short, I won't go into all the details, but basically he said yes to me. He said, yes, we're best friends, I have your blessing. Long story cut short again, let's just say he recanted on that yes. (laughs) And let's just say we're no longer friends. (laughs) Why I say this? Because in a sense, I felt a little bit betrayed, right? I felt really, this really hurt because I thought we had an agreement And yes, I have a feeling he also felt betrayed, right? And so when this happens, there's something that I will never forget, the pain in my heart, what it feels like to feel some kind of betrayal both ways, right? It's painful. It really hurts. And so when I actually look at this, I'm thinking, wow, Jesus had been through stuff that many of us go on in a day-to-day basis. Betrayal, having flee from family. The next one is very obvious too, being deserted. His friends left him. Right? His friends, actually, his best friends that he's you know investing and pouring his life into. We know that as he's approaching the cross, they decide to run. After I dated my best friend's ex, you know what happened to me? I was excommunicated from that group. It really hurt. Like I tell you, I actually had to get counseling for this. Because <laughs> the pain was so deep, the attachments are so like deep with these particular gentlemen. It just really hurts. But the good news is Jesus understands. So he's deserted. I won't go through the text because it'll just take forever. Number five is this. Jesus is falsely accused. Now this is a true story, right? So we know he's falsely accused. Why? Because he's innocent. We know from Sunday school and all our uh, Bible studies, he dies on the cross, falsely accused. There's no real charges against him. All made up, they're all false, right? He's totally holy, totally sinless. Here's a true story for you that I heard secondhand. So not firsthand, secondhand. This story goes like this. There was once a pastor who was, you know, in a, in a big church. Lots of people come to this big church. And he's praying over people. So he prays over this woman, okay? Puts his hand on her shoulder to pray for her, Okay? You know where there's a story going? He prays for her, does the pastoral thing. She comes back eventually to what? accuse him of sexual harassment. Okay, true story. Long story cut short, but basically what happens to this particular pastor, he loses his job because she's spreading all these things about him, and apparently she liked him. Okay? So when we talk about falsely accused, this is what it's like. I'm sure some of you here today have been through something the same. Where the gossip mill happens, where people are like, talking about you, and it gets out of control, right? I know that's an extreme example, but I just want to emphasize the stuff that Jesus goes through for you and I. I know these seem like dot points on a slide, but this is a real life lived. A real life lived. I'm gonna keep going because it's endless, right? Let's keep going. Number six is this public humiliation. Very obvious, right? He's spat on, he's criticized publicly, he's hung on a cross, barely any clothes on. I don't need to elaborate, right? I'm not sure how many of us can relate to that. Number six is seven is this physical torture, right? So this is um something it's very intense. Okay, so On the way to the cross, and this is um, the text here, Matthew 27, 26, there's a word here called scourging. Anyone heard that word before? Scourge, scourging. Anyway, it's a form of torture, right? And what happens in this torture is a whip. This whip has three cords like this. I wanted to get you a picture, but I couldn't download a picture without breaching copyright laws, so I'll have to use my fingers, all right? A whip is like this, and it's a bit longer than this, obviously. And on the edge of each tip is like metal or bones, okay? So what happens during scourging, what happens to Jesus, if you watch the passion, is he gets whipped by this, you know, on a block, right? And basically, this weapon is used to do maximum pain and maximum bleeding. I don't know about you, but I'm scared of needles, let alone A scourge whip, okay? And so what happens is, as they lash his back, pieces of his flesh come off, right? Just one piece, another piece, just literally fly off your skin to soften him up for the next thing that happens, which is the crucifixion, right? So some of you have seen the passion. You know exactly what I'm talking about when I say crucifixion. I want to go into details because it all makes sense, right? There's a three-meter-tall cross, a couple of planks they put on the ground. They nail his feet, his arms to the cross, right? For hours and hours, he's hung up on this particular cross, bleeding. Unable to breathe at times. Blood oozing everywhere. Physical torture, execution by crucifixion, right? So when you talk about suffering, I tell you, someone who suffered. And above all this that I've been talking about, above all this, there's one type of suffering that's even worse than everything he's already been through. I'll go to the next one. It's called spiritual suffering, right? I'll put these scriptures up in there and I won't go through it, but I'd like you to know that this is biblical, that's all. He says in Mark 15, 34, Finally, after six hours of torture, breathing, the end was near, Jerusalem looked, Jesus looked to heaven and said, Elo, Elo, lama, I can't even say that, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right. So this, I remember one true story. One of my friends who gave his life to Christ, this was the text as to why he gave his life to Christ. Out of all texts in the Bible, this was the one. He just could not believe that Jesus would do all this for him. And this was the text. He's like, wow, what happened in this text? Here, Jesus' communion with God is separated. He is forsaken, right? I'm not sure if any of you have been here before, you felt the conviction of the Spirit of God for doing something bad. It happens to me all the time, right? A sense of, oh gosh, this is, I've hurt, I've grieved the Holy Spirit, I've hurt God through my actions. Or, and especially when it's against other people too, right? What Jesus feels right now, in this particular moment, in this particular text, is this sense of spiritual guilt and pain. Not just yours, the whole world's guilt, shame upon him. That is the feeling. Multiply your own ever felt shame or guilt by a million times, not even more than that, right? Billions and billions of times. That's what he's feeling. He's feeling this sense of, oh my gosh. He's disconnected from the Trinity for a little time so that he could pay the spiritual price for you and I, right? Very important. If you talk about suffering, I think that is intense. Last but not least, emotional suffering. Well, I don't need to go into this because I think you get the picture. You want to talk about mental health challenges? You want to talk about emotions? You want to talk about a form of suffering? Emotionally, mentally, Jesus feels it. This is a picture of God in Gethsemane. Um, he's praying. And he's asking God to kind of like take this away from me. This is overwhelming. This is too intense. He feels what you feel. And this is important. So why do I tell you all this? Why do I outline 10 points of how Jesus suffered? Why do I go so deep? The next question I want to answer is, why did he suffer? Before I get to, you know, what that means for you. So I think a logical question when we think about all these things that Jesus goes through, the cross, his life, his rejection, all that type of stuff, why did God make him do this? Why did God put his son through all this? I've got very four very quick points to say why I think God did this and to what it means for us today. I'll give an example. Could God have chosen a different plan? Why did he have to get executed? Could he have been in the bath one day, you know, some body wash, getting changed in the Middle Eastern heat, slip on a bar slope, bang his head, and he died for us? Wouldn't that just, I don't know, be an di- alternative plan? Could it have been something different? Could he have just died of old age for us? Why did it have to be this particular plan? Number one. Before the creation of the world, God had a plan. When, you were, when our ancestors in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, who you know, ate the fruit of that tree, descended the whole mankind, and condemned the whole mankind... Before they did this, God knew they would do this. He already had a backup plan. Well, not a backup plan. It was already a plan. This is important. A lot of people will say, "Ah, why is it this way? And why does God allow these bad things to happen? And I just want to introduce two concepts of God, right? One is this, that God is holy, which we know, which we sing, and God is love. If you combine those two attributes together, you have this person that hates sin so much. We have another person who loves you so much. What ends up happening if you combine those two traits is a plan. He must make a plan because he loves you so much, but he hates your sin so much. He absolutely hates it. You combine those two together, you get the plan of the cross, and these are the four reasons why, okay? It was predestined. He writes, the word of God, Acts 4.27 says, It's truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and people of Rita, to do whatever you, your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. So it's was going to happen. It had to happen. Number two two is this. It is to dare to fulfill scripture. Scripture points. We said in Isaiah 53 today, as we heard Harold say, by the way, Harold, great illustration. Loved it. I felt intimidated coming up here after you. (laughs) (laughs) Scriptures had to be fulfilled. Over and over, as you read the Bible, it says, the scriptures were fulfilled. The scriptures were fulfilled. This proves the Old Testament is real. It is factual. It is true. It predicts. God can't lie, the Word can't lie. Number three is this, this theme of blood and sacrifice. In the Old Testament, as you know, in order to be right with God, the priests had to sacrifice something in blood. Let it be a sacrificial lamb, a sacrificial goat, whatever. Something had to be sacrificed in the form of blood. This is why Jesus had to be sacrificed in the form of blood. Last but not least, I think probably one of the most important is this. It's fitting, fitting suffering. So this is something from John Piper, so not from me. Love his work. Go read his stuff. Hebrews 2.10 says this, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom through everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Perfect through what he suffered. God saw it fitting. John Calvin, the great reformer, great writer, calls the cross the wonderful exchange, right? It's a beautiful thing. As much as barbaric, the cross looks, it was a form of torture to execute political and and prisoners for the Roman Empire. John Calvin describes it as this wonderful, beautiful exchange. God saw it fitting to do so. He chose to do it because all these four things. And most importantly, he felt like this was the right plan. This was a right plan for you and I. Which brings me hopefully a little bit more application, less dot points. <sighs> what does this mean for us today? Two key things here. I mean it's so simple, isn't it? Every song that we sing, every verse that we say, God loves you. He goes through all this rubbish, these plans, this suffering for you and I. And let me be clear. This is very important. I was listening to a sermon recently by one of my preachers that I love, right? And it just tore my heart. And I want to share a little bit of what he preached. He sat there at this congregation with tears in his eyes and he says to them, do you know how much God loves you? Do you know it? Do you feel it? Because if you did, you would understand the great sacrifice he made for you, and you would know how much you're truly loved by someone. And I sat there, I'm like thinking to myself, I don't think I, I really grasp how much God loves me. I just don't. I try to comprehend it, but it is beyond comprehension. This plan, this suffering, it is immense. But if you truly understood how much God loved you, how much that would set you free. You know how many issues people have because of a fatherless household or a motherless household or some trauma they have as a child? Why? Because they did not feel loved by their parents. And they go off to do all types of stuff, right? We've seen it before. We've heard that story. I could have been one of those as well. Number one. Number two is this. He loves you. I hope you get that very clear. Number two is this. I think in some ways he, we have a high priest in heaven, and this is scriptural, that empathizes with our weaknesses, who's been tempted in every way just as we did, but yet did not sin. You know, I have some staff at MST in Eastern College, and I hired someone new at the start of this year. True story. I prayed. My boss was putting a little bit of pressure on me to hire someone. I didn't feel like we had the right candidates yet to hire someone. So I prayed and asked God, God, what do you want me to do here? Do you want me to hire someone I think I'll regret in a couple of years' time? Or should I wait? And God was very clear to me. He said, wait, someone is coming. So I told my boss, look, let's just wait a little bit, right? Very next week, kid you not, this girl emails me and says, hey, I'm interested in a job. I think I could be really good, right? Smashed interview, long story cut short, we, we hire her. I don't know it too well, but <clears throat> I begin to realise she's probably had a little bit of trauma in her life. We share very openly about this. And she talks about um, the religious family that she grew up in. Always criticised about, like, not going to church being too promiscuous, being too loud, not that gentle you know, soul that you're meant to in church that they expect you to be. She's a bit fiery, you see. She comes from a broken family, divorced parents uh, who are very highly critical, very manipulative, so using like religio- religiosity to make you feel bad for not going to church, not being a good person, et cetera, et cetera, right? Very manipulative environment. And I remember just sharing to her some of the things I had to go through as a child, Right? And when I was sharing these things with her, there was a sense of mutual connection. This mutual sense that we have gone through similar suffering that we both understand, right? Jesus here has been through all this. And we don't have a high priest in heaven. We don't have someone who's transcendent. Who sits in heaven not relating to us at all? He understands all your emotions. He understands your suffering. He empathizes because he actually came down and walked with you and I. It is not like we have a a Father in heaven who just sits there on her throne and tells us what to do. That's not the God that I serve. That's not the God we worship, right? Very important. I just want to land on some personal anecdotes of suffering. I don't know what to call this section, but I hope all that theological teaching stuff all makes sense. I'm to move to a point of, I don't know, all right. We get that Jesus loves us. We get that Jesus did all these things. We get that he empathizes with us. All right, pastor, tell us what we could do about it today. All right? That's where I want to land. That's where I want to finish So number one is this. I told you there was a lot of dot points. Sorry. Number one, suffering is inevitable. John 16, 33. I've told you these things that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Everyone said that voice. Ah, text before. It is inevitable that you will suffer. But let me get a bit preachy here today. I'm so sorry. But I guess it's my job, right? We live in a first world country, Western society. Who here has insurance for something? Yep, lots of people have insurance. Phone insurance, car insurance, life insurance, trauma insurance, (laughs) house insurance. Insurance upon insurance. Insurance for your insurance. It's endless. Why does this society have so much insurance? They want to insure what? Catastrophic events, right? So that you and I can continue living the way that we live. A sense of comfort. That if something goes wrong, we have a backup plan upon a backup plan upon a backup plan. Right? not saying insurance is bad. Don't go off after this sermon and say, oh, let's not have to pay our insurance ever again. Praise the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. But there's something in our society that tells us something, that a default setting of our lives is our comfort and our security. Right? This is what they teach you from a young age, especially Asian parents. Get that 99.95. Become a doctor, lawyer, accountant get a good job so you can have a secure future, pay off your mortgage fast, save, don't take hollows, don't eat breakfast and avocado every weekend. (laughs) Why? So you could have a nest egg in case something goes wrong, right? Be careful with that mindset, be careful with that thinking. Because what happens is our default setting in life, you know default settings? a lot of younger generation nodded the older generation had no idea what i'm talking about but let me explain a default setting is when you turn on your computer you open your internet browser and it comes up on this page right and it says what settings do you want do you want this to be your default browser or not your default browser so some of you use chrome i use chrome some of you use internet explorer whatever you use to so surf the internet there's a default setting right What the world teaches you is your default setting should be comfort rather than faith. And what that means is if your default setting is comfort, you start to bubble wrap your life from suffering and pain. And this is what it looks like, not being able to take risks, not being able to tell that girl over there, hey, I like you. Why? It's too much risk. (laughs) I could get rejected. <laughs> or it could be starting that ministry. That you're so comfortable in your life, you don't want to have to go through all the pain of doing this, doing that for Jesus. Or it could be telling your husband that you something that you were so scared to talk to him about just because of his reaction and that pain and suffering that happens in chains, right? We are so conditioned to keep things the same. But nothing good happens, I believe, when we do that, right? When I get too comfortable, I feel like something's wrong. Do not let comfort be your default setting, let faith be your default setting. Number one, okay? Number two is this all suffering is under the mighty hand of God. We know this. Why? Because in Job, what happens? Satan has to negotiate with, with God to be able to do things to Job. There's a negotiation process, right? He actually, not just a negotiation, but he has to ask for permission. Everything that you go in life through be fired by your boss, you've got a micromanager of a boss, you've got a really difficult child. Hit by a, you hit know, by a car. Whatever happens is under the mighty hand of God. He allows it to happen. He's not the author of suffering. I didn't say that. But he allows it to happen in our lives. It's all under his hand, his control. You need to understand this. Really understand this. Because that is the case. And you know that God is good? and he loves you, he allows this to happen to you, we have to have perspective when it comes to our suffering. These days will pass. There's a writer who writes in Romans, and I forget the text, but I'll never forget it. I think it was John Stott, actually. It is John Stott. He writes about this passage in Romans. It's a suffering. He says, suffering, and I don't mean to minimize people's suffering. That's not what I'm doing here, all right? Don't get my words wrong. Suffering in light of eternity is like staying at an inconvenient hotel one night. That's what he says. And this guy's old, right? I think that's important. Let me just share a little bit about my life, because I know I promised I would. You guys know my parents were immigrants, I um, came here to Australia, they got married here, they fell in love on the boat, they knew each other in high school though, but it's a really romantic story, right? <laughs> one from Hanoi, one from Saigon, do you guys know what that means? <laughs> big trouble, big trouble, <laughs> for those youngins who never studied the Vietnamese war, but basically they're polar opposites of the political spectrum, okay? One other city hates the other. Long story cut short. My dad was from uh, a family of like seven, six brothers, one sister. His dad was an abusive man, abusive, violent, hits their children, verbally abuses them, all that kind of stuff. He was also a gambler and an alcoholic. Growing up in life, it was really hard for my dad. You know what happens when that happens to you? What's the statistics of this happening to to my dad? Very high. What did I grow up in? I grew up in a dad who was very violent, in a family who was very violent, very abusive, alcoholic, who was a con artist. Let me tell you a true story. My parents divorced when I was about four or five, okay? But before then, I remember this. This is one of my earliest memories that I can recall, right? And I'm sorry I'm going to share. This could be a trigger warning for some. I remember I was sitting next to this heater, right here, right, next to me. And I remember just as a three, four-year-old, I'm looking at the ground. We've got these holes in the carpet, right? And I'm picking the holes out of the carpet. And in the background, all I could hear was screaming, glass shattering everywhere because my dad was throwing bottles everywhere, hitting my mom. And just, it was, I remember when I had to get counseling for this, this was the, one of the hardest moments in my life. I just broke down in tears. I could not handle it. You know why? I felt so powerless. I could hear my mom getting hurt, but yet I'm a three-year-old kid not able to do anything, right? Nothing. I blame myself for that. I received healing from that trauma recently, right? Recently. I'm like 37. This is like 34 years ago, right? Some things hit home real hard, you know? All is to say this. I trust... That God has a plan. What I know of God, He allowed that to happen for a reason. And I have to trust Him. This brings me to my next point. When you suffer, when you go through things in life, which you will. Some of you have experienced trauma. Some of you have not yet experienced trauma, but it's coming. It's coming. It is coming. You laugh, but it's true, right? <laughs> One thing I keep in my mind is this. spiritual Suffering builds spiritual depth. And what I mean by this is depth, 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 right? When you meet someone who has suffered deeply, like someone who survived the Holocaust or, you know, some, you know, just really tough stuff in life. You look at them and there's something about them that is different. There's a sense of maturity beyond their years. There's a sense of wisdom that comes only with suffering. God is not in the business of making you prosper, although that's a byproduct. He's not in the business of making you wealthy. He's not in the business of doing what you command him to do. He's in the business of making you conform into the image of Christ. That's the business that he is in. Often, a tool that he will use in order to do that is suffering. You will suffer just like he did. We don't have a high priest that's disconnected from all our suffering. We have a high priest that empathizes, right? When those days come, which they will, and some of you are experiencing right now, dig deep into Jesus. Dig deep. True story. I remember one time, I had a lot of issues, especially when I became a Christian, right? Lots. Still got issues. I tell my wife and my friends, I'm like a 747, I've got all this baggage. Lots of baggage. I don't know know why I went on that tangent. but, But all I know is that every time I go through something, I dig a well and that well is to spend time with Jesus. And that's not to mean don't get help. As we pray for things, as we rely on God to go through things, because the number one thing, I tell you what, when you suffer, when you go through hard times, what do you turn to? Your best friend, your computer games, your entertainments, eating, drinking, whatever it may be, you turn to something during these stressful times, right? Let me encourage you to turn to Jesus. That's not to say these things aren't helpful. Distractions can be helpful. But reach out to God and cry out to Him. He will answer your prayers. Trust me. This brings me to my next point. When we suffer, get help. Right? Simple. You know, I find it absolutely amazing. I'm going to guess in this church, especially FGA, not, you don't have this problem. All right? I'm just going to guess. But in Asian circles, in particular Chinese circles, it's like taboo to get counselling. It's like, oh my gosh, you're one of those guys. You're one of those, Woo! It's like, I speak to my mom on a regular basis. She's not a Christian yet, but we're praying very hard. My brother just became a Christian three and a half years ago. I'm so blessed that he is, and we pray for my mom together. My mom just does not believe in counseling at all. She's like, tough it. You, you just got to have mental fortitude. That's what she tells me. She's got to be strong. You don't need to go that stuff. Just tough it out. And mind you, she's suffered deeply, right? So I guess some ways I really respect her. But at some ways I'm just like, Mom. there's something about going to talk to someone that people have something against. I'm not one of those people. I'm not broken like that. But I find it strange when people have marriage problems, people are being bullied at school, people have these things. They refuse to get help, refuse almost. Ceases to amaze me. In the prevalent society where mental health is talked about all the time, people still don't get help, especially in the church. It's like you don't trust Jesus enough or something, you know? That's totally not true. I get regular counseling. I'm not even kidding you. Last time my counsellor was in January, February this year, okay? That's recent. I every time I talk to someone, go speak to someone. You know what they say to me, pastor, oh, yeah, we will. Great idea. Send them, the, you know, my counsellor who I love, right? Do they call? I'll tell you, one probably out of 20 actually does it. One out of 20. Why is that the case? for a change, for a judgment. I don't know what it is. But let me tell you, if your trauma is undealt with, your suffering is undealt with, it goes somewhere and it will go out somewhere else. It will go somewhere, it will go some, out somewhere else, okay? Let me explain a principle. Very important. I don't know how much time I Sorry, Chris. In this story true study right they study these twins okay and it's one of these twins in this particular study they had similar to my background domestically violent dad alcoholic abusive all that kind of stuff right two twins one of these twins became the CEO of an S&P 500 company right highly successful great Samaritan good person apparently highly esteemed reputation okay he turned out so well He's twin brother, same environment, same parent, same thing. What did he turn into? Exactly like his dad. Drunk, drug addict, abusive, blaming someone, right? Why? Because he refused to get help. One person said, no, I'm not going to use this as a choice to be a victim. I'm going to choose this as a choice to bless others through my suffering other person said, yep, I'm going to stay a victim. I'm going to blame my dad for all my problems. There's nothing wrong with being a victim. There's everything wrong with staying a victim. There's two different mindsets to the same problem, right? If you are going through something, get help. Don't be in denial. It will come out somewhere. That'd be through anger on the road rage. Are you one of those people that, you know, say profanity on the road. <laughs> I've done that before, sorry. I admit <laughs> Maybe it's against your wife or your children. You just burst in anger. You know? It comes somewhere, trust me. It goes out somewhere. This brings me to my last point, suffering can turn into your greatest ministry, and this is true. I remember one conversation I had with my mum once, and I felt so guilty for saying this to her. She's the best mum at I love her. She's the MVP to me, right? Aside from Jesus, of course. But I remember telling her, and I had to be honest with her, and it really hurt her, which made me feel even worse. But when you, when you need to talk about big things in life, you have to not be afraid to hurt people. You have to talk it out, right? I said to her, Mum, I felt robbed as a child. Mum, I know you did your best, but I can't help sometimes I was robbed of my childhood, of a normal childhood, right? Tears in her eyes as I'm telling this. Tears in my eyes as I'm saying this, right? But it's true. I looked at all these Christian families with their dads and they, you know, teach them how to play ball and fetch and, you know, teach them how to play a bike and, you know, it's just so normal. I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I had that in my life, you know? But let me tell you something. Because I, oh, speaking of children, (laughs) but because I went through that, I 100% don't want the same thing for my children. When I read these things, like how children get neglected, children get abused. Oh my gosh, it just tears my heart to parts, you know? I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for your family. I don't want people to go through the same thing I went through. So I want to equip myself to be a really good present dad, a a good father, a good husband for that matter, although I fall short a lot. My wife's not here. She says hello. But hopefully she could vouch for me. There's a reason why she's not here, right? No, I'm joking. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? You'll hear this countless of times. People who've been through sexual harassment, sexual abuse, they, they turn to, to those industries for a reason. People who've been radically transformed by the gospel and not being pastors, right? Suffering is inevitable, and sometimes your gate of suffering will turn into your greatest ministry. I hope. This helps today. I know this is a long sermon. I think I went over 45 minutes. I apologize, but I hope you're blessed. I hope that gives you a framework. I hope that gives you a framework to really tackle what's going to come in your life or even what you're experiencing right now. I may quickly pray to close the service and pass it back to Chris, if that's all right. I know somewhere in this place, Lord God, there is pain. Let it be one, two, three, twenty, thirty people. I don't know where it is, Lord, but would Your Spirit of God and Your hands just touch them in places, in their hearts, in their soul, in their minds, right now, Lord? Let it be they just had a miscarriage or miss, or they've been trying to have a baby for so long, or they've got challenges in their marriage or they've got financial stress, would you just meet them where they're at, Lord God? I just pray today as we exit these halls that we have a framework to suffer well, that you most importantly suffered for us, Lord God. But I pray for your miraculous hands to be upon this church, upon these people today, Lord God. Help heal them so they can be a blessing to others in the same process. I pray this in Jesus' name. I will remain here after service a little bit. So if you want me to pray with you or for you, I'm happy to do that as well.
0: All right. Thanks so much, man. I'm so glad that um, Andrew preached the sermon that he did. I actually think there's some people here, you've come to church and you needed to hear today's message. And so I want to invite you after to come up for prayer. We have an altar ministry team. Andrew's going to stay back. We're going to pray for you. Um, You know, there's a lie that goes around at Christmas. That Christmas is actually just about pretending. Let's pretend Santa Claus. Let's pretend gifts. Let's pretend everything's nice. Let's pretend there's joy in the whole world. Let's just pretend. Uh, The real story of Christmas is much richer than that. It's also much better that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of what we're going through, there is hope and there is joy. You know, Christmas message next week, I'm talking about hope. But I don't think you can have a real discussion about hope if we're just going to pretend that our lives are not broken, that there aren't issues around that we have to... That is what makes hope so amazing. That in our broken world, Jesus can transform us, can transform this world. So I know there's some people, you need to come up for prayer. You need to actually, this Christmas, focus in on Jesus and allow God into your life. So I want to invite you. I'm going to close in prayer, but I want to invite you up to be prayed for or at least talked to somebody who's up here in our altar ministry father thank you so much uh, for your word today help us to get a well-rounded view of christmas help us to get a well-rounded view of your gospel lord help us to see why it is that you had to pay such a price to come here for us and why it is such good news and why we have so much hope and joy i pray for every person who's here lord that we would go back and we would be grateful. And that we would realize that in the midst of whatever we're going through, we have a high priest who's gone through the same thing. Someone who has suffered with us and has prevailed. We commit this into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. The service is over. Uh, can I ask if you're going to chat, if you can chat outside. We'll see you in our two services next week on Christmas Eve. But please come up. If you need prayer, our altar ministry team, we'd love to minister to you. And we'd love to pray for you. God bless.